All right, Mickey here with an advert for BetterHelp Therapy Online. You all right? Such a small question and sometimes such a big question too, eh? Now, regular listeners will know I am no stranger to depression and while over time and with the help of some decent counselling and brilliant friends and family, I've established a toolkit to help when the constantly dripping tap of life gets a bit too much. That does not mean I am a stress-free human rainbow skipping through meadows. I mean, who is? We all carry around different stresses, big and small, and sometimes we can deal, and sometimes it's much harder to cope. Life, innit? Right now, I have a teenage puppy to deal with, and although I love her very, very much, she can be a lot. There, said it. And as quick a fix as it seems to say, I'm fine, I'm fine, and push it all down into the big inside box and put that lid on. For me, that hasn't been a great long-term solution in that if I don't get it off my chest, it will at some point come bubbling up and it's never been one to pick its moments in a good way. I find talking means I can avoid it exploding out of me like a messy emotional volcano all over my nana's carpet. Also, during my various times in talk therapy, I discovered that saying something out loud or writing it down can make it seem much more manageable than allowing it to swirl around and grow ever bigger in my head. If you're thinking of starting therapy, Give BetterHelp a try. I've found knowing how to reach out is sometimes the toughest bit, but BetterHelp is entirely online. Boom. Which means it couldn't be easier. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a registered therapist, then work your sessions around your schedule. With more than a thousand therapists in the UK already, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Standard issue listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash standard. That's betterhelp.com slash standard. Standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this episode in our International Men's Day 2020 series. Now, if you've been listening, and I'm sure you have, you already have heard Hannah chat to sports commentator Andrew Cotter about what happened when he and his two very good dogs became the toast of Twitter during lockdown, how the world has felt the absence of sport, and his new book, Olive, Mabel and Me. She's also been chatting to actor and man of many other talents, Matt Fraser, about Cryptales, a new series he curated for the BBC as part of their celebration of 20 years since passage of the Disability Discrimination Act. You will also have heard Mickey catching up with comedian and I'll call him legend of International Men's Day, Richard Herring, to find out about his new book, The Problem with Men, When is International Men's Day and Why It Matters. And she will also be chatting to some of the guys behind the Good Lad Initiative, a gender equality charity working to tackle the root causes of inequality and to promote positive masculinity. And that sounds like lovely stuff. But in this episode, I catch up with comedian and writer Michael Spicer, who you'll know from his excellent The Man in the Room Next Door sketches and now new book, The Secret Political Advisor, The Unredacted Files of The Man in the Room Next Door. I chatted to him about being a man online, being um, Matt Hancock and contemporary political heroes. Spoiler alert, not that the two things are related, but they're a little bit thin on the ground at the moment. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed chatting to Michael. I'm joined via Zoom by comedian and writer Michael Spicer. Hello, Michael. How are you? 
I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm all right. Can't complain, you know, uh, getting ready to go back into lockdown again, which is yep. fun. How's lockdown been for you? Um, lockdown part one, obviously, we've had a sort of <laughs> hiatus. Lockdown, yeah, lockdown part one was um, very surreal. I mean, I suppose it was surreal for everyone, but I, I quit my job a week before we went into lockdown because I was in a position to do that. I was able to, um, you know, get a book deal and get a few other bits and pieces done where I could just, you know, park the office job. And then, and then lockdown happened. And so I had to become a, a, a teacher <laughs> <laughs> looking after my children and teaching them and then writing in the evening. So it was busy it was insanely busy probably more than I've ever been because my office job was just you know you know nine to five coming home looking after the children going to bed and it was uh it was uh, a, a drastic change yeah you've been plugging away for a while haven't you and then you've you've kind of broken through this year with your man in the room oh. next door sketches that you've been putting out very, very funny sketches that we've seen on Twitter. And that's kind of what's propelled you into the limelight. So do you want yeah. to tell us a little bit about those sketches for, for anyone who's listening who's, who has been under a rock and doesn't know about yeah. them? I mean, it's easy to, for a certain portion of people, to just not not know what I do. It's kind of like, um, you, you, like Instagram influencers who have millions and millions of followers and you go, sorry, who are you? Why are you so... Are you famous? I don't, you can kind of be famous and not be famous at the same time. I mean, I've always... Yeah, as you say, I've always been doing sketches and sitcom, writing things or constantly writing because I'm older than the internet. So when I started, I was posting scripts off in jiffy bags and things like that. When Twitter came along, it gave me a platform to just do my own sketches because I was kind of fed up of just writing scripts. And I would put things out and just gauge people's reaction what 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 sort of what sort of comedy do they like and i was i was quite surreal and a bit dark from time to time but then boris johnson gave an interview where he was really struggling to answer a question and it seemed very much like he didn't know what to say he didn't know how to have a human response to the question my instinctive reaction was, oh, it's, it, it, it could be that there's a man in the room next door feeding lines to him. So I very quickly did it. I cut it together, I posted it, and then it just went completely berserk the following day. It was a hilarious interview that mm. he gave because it was so bizarre. This is the one with the, the, the bus, isn't it? With the, um, yeah. with the, the model it, bus. He likes to paint people on wooden crates. and Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but it took him it took him about five minutes to either admit to that or fabricate it. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think we can we can probably be fairly confident that that's not how he spent his probably time. not probably not. But... I suppose I suppose it was probably the the most um, he probably thought it was a very human thing to do. I imagine he probably thought, "What do normal people do?" Mm, I don't know, what do normal people do? Paint? Uh, okay, then paint. <laughs> and then he was just kind of looking around. Uh, and I'm sure he would have just uh, said anything that came to mind. But um, it went viral by itself. And I did think at the time, well, maybe I shouldn't do it because it's a comedic 
sketch in its own right. It's so baffling and jaw-droppingly awful. What more could I do to, to, to add to that? But the fact is, is that it was uh, very easy to do. So I thought, right, well, I'll quickly do it. And that was that. It's quite interesting you say that uh, the, he thinks that's probably what normal people do. Because the thing that occurred to me almost instantly when I watched that, what are these wooden crates? Where are these wooden crates going from? Like, yeah. What do you have wooden crates for in this day and age? He was saying, you know those crates that contain two wine bottles? And to, uh, I must confess, I've never heard of wooden crates that, that were made to contain two wine bottles. You mean like the paper things you get in Sainsbury's to carry the wine in? I don't think they're genuinely like... like but uh, like posher versions? Yeah, posher versions. So if you give it to somebody, it's got that sort of ripped up paper in it. And Oh, right, I mean? yeah. Yeah, it's, it's more of a kind of what you would have with a... With a, with a Harrods hamper or something. Okay. I think that's what. I still okay. don't. I don't think anyone knows. I, I, I still don't have any of those. Just, nope. <laughs> just FYI, I, I still don't know anyone who, who has any of those. I don't think. But anyway, the sketches that you put out, you're sort of speaking for the nation, and and the frustration I think that we all feel watching these absolute idiots trying Ooh. to string sentences Ooh. together, basically. Yeah. You've obviously really tapped into something there, haven't you? I mean, I didn't... Uh, it, it was purely accidental. I didn't mean to do that. It was seen as like a kind of... Like an, a, a new chapter in satire. which seems terribly... Uh, <laughs> pompous of me to even say, because all I was doing was just doing a quick joke before I went to bed. But what people have said about it is that it is uh, reacting basically you can, you've got the, the the spitting image style of satirizing char- characters in in the political eye but if they're so uh, ridiculous and absurd and um, monstrous what can you do except react to what they're actually saying so in many ways yes i am just kind of that person on the sofa that we all are at the moment which is just yelling and saying you're not equipped to to do this job and you should resign immediately there's a lot of that kind of feeling, isn't there? That the people in charge, for for the most part, failed journalists who who have tried other things and it's not worked out, and so and so their privilege has just taken to taken them into the realm of politics, and uh, and now we're in a terrible situation. One of the things that I've sort of felt about the political landscape, particularly in this year, is that the power dynamic is so wrong. It's especially with this government, with, you know, the likes of Dominic Cummings and his trip to Barnard Castle and things like that. And I think one of the reasons people are so frustrated and angry is that we feel, you know, back in the day, we would have expected there to be consequences for that kind of thing. We would have expected our outrage and our frustration to have consequences. And this government have kind of said, well, fuck off. No, there's, there's no consequence. We don't really care what you think, which sort of says to me that they believe themselves to be untouchable or or they don't really care either way is not ideal and I think the thing that we've really lost sight of is actually we employ them we hire them to do a job rather than the other way around you know like the economy is there to serve us we don't exist to serve the economy yeah I I think it probably all starts with people like Steve Bannon Hmm. in terms of twisting the narrative and making people more of a hardline right than they were previously. Um, and uh, when you get to that area of politics, you do 
experience more. It's kind of terrifying in a way, this refusal to accept the truth. You just basically start, you, you manipulate your media outlets to, to start another narrative in a different direction. And you say, yes, you know, that's done with now. Here's our pack of lies. That's going to deal with it. And nobody's going to lose their job over this. And now we're going to go in because the news cycle is so, you know, mm. frantic mm. that you just forget. You know, what about what happened to Trump's tax thing? What was that? Why? Why did we all kind of complain about that for a day and then forget about it? Because just, there's just so much news. And yeah, so it's, it's all about um, manipulation. But it's very Orwellian to just say, you know, this lie is a fact and, you know, you're going to have to deal with it. Yeah, I mean, this is quite depressing, actually, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, literally, the uh, Americans are waking up as we speak to hopefully change the tide. We well, I was going to ask you. For sure whether they will, but um, but I would like to think that if, if this election is not rigged beyond all recognition... Uh, and if Biden becomes president, then um, then we'll have some sort of swing towards a more well. At least there won't be a maniac in the White House, which is <laughs> which is which is a move in the right direction. Just in Number Ten Downing Street, but that's fine. We'll yeah. we'll work yes. on that. There's stuff that has kind of driven your profile up this year has been yeah. predominantly online. Yes. There's quite a lot of chat about how hard it is being a woman in the digital age. You know, like a, oh. a lot of nonsense that you get online. I wondered, yeah. given that so much of the work you do is on social media, what is it like being, um, especially with the kind of content you're making and the aforementioned yeah. nutcases uh, yeah. out in the world? How is that for you? I get next to nothing. Really? Uh, yeah. Because, um, I mean, I don't know if it's a filter thing. Sometimes mm. Twitter takes out thing. Uh, sometimes uh, uh, censors swear words and things like that. Um, so I don't see an awful lot on Twitter. I get the occasional tweet that just says, you know, you can't say that about my president. I mean, it's all very, <laughs> it's all very, you know, yeah. you know, fluffy and uh, there's, there's nothing, there's no trolling. Um, I mean, if you look at Jamie Godley, who just basically does the sort of same sort of thing as me in terms of just getting content. I don't know, I hate, hate that word, but you know what I mean? Mm. Good comedy skits and sketches and, and gets them out there. She she just gets trolled and abused. She gets uh, t- tweets, photoshopped to say that she, to say things that she never said and things like that. They're they're terrifying. But, but I have to say, I, I, it doesn't happen to me. Probably because I am a man. I think there are lots of trolls out there who um, male trolls who will just essentially go for uh, for women who are trying to be funny or trying to be. Uh, provocative um that's the target i'm not a target i appeared on newsnight and was then sent some abusive emails because it's newsnight you know it's it's one of those programs isn't it that people watch in order to annoy themselves and get irritated by the left-leaning the bbc <laughs> the BBC. bbc's left agenda or, or whatever yeah, it is yeah. agenda, exactly yeah. so i pop up I, and I say this, that, and the other, and um, and that that annoys people. But honestly, uh, it's it's you know, the, you, I I get very little, and 
I, I, get, I put everything on YouTube, so the YouTube comments are, are you know, troubling, but I don't interact with YouTubers. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. That's another thing. I don't interact with most people who choose to criticise, not because I've got a thin skin, but just because I don't see the point in engaging in a, a, a an argument with somebody online. It just doesn't seem like it's a worthwhile thing to do. It's not, but then sometimes, I don't know, sometimes I find people make me really angry and I can't quite help myself. Yeah, I've definitely sort of, I've, I've hovered my fingers over the keyboard, definitely, but I've never pressed send uh, because I just know it's going to open up this world of pain. Because, I mean, you know, people, comedy generally, if, if you don't find the joke funny, it's almost seen as being offensive. Mm. Uh, the the kind of vitriol that people re- reserve for things that don't make them laugh that are supposed to is uh, disproportionate. Really, it's it's they, you know, people watch how I got news for you, and then they'll hashtag it and and then rant about it. It's just all right. If it doesn't make you laugh, then you know, watch something else. Oh, but it's the taxpayers' money. If it doesn't make them laugh, <laughs> you know, those lefty bastards. Um... Yeah, <clears throat> I will all be over soon anyway. Rush oh. report. Have I got news for you? Uh, the news quiz. It'll all be over. Let's cancel them all. Oh dear. So I just wondered about how you sort of how you pick your victims, as it were, for the sketches. Have you ever found anything so ridiculous or so stupid that you were a bit like, it's sort of too easy. It'd be too cruel. I can't do it. Yeah, yeah, there is. Uh, sometimes I've thought not to do it. Um, I mean, it's got to a stage now whereby I don't really do a sketch unless I can do something different with it. So when Trump misunderstood an intelligence test and and a general sort of dementia test and said, um, one of the questions is, can you say these things in this order? (laughs) One woman, camera, person, TV, and thinks that he's, um, you know, Einstein. (laughs) Um, But, I mean, people did it, uh, you know, reacted to it and shared it and everything. And I thought, wow, that one is so easy to do. (laughs) It's almost too easy. But then I realised that it would be funny if he had a little flashback to when he was Obama's man in the room next door, when he was delivering quite thought-provoking speeches. And I was like a younger version of myself, giving him those lines and him responding and it all going very well. And this kind of uplifting music and a wavy American flag and stuff like that. And then it just judders and cuts right back to Trump going, man, woman, person, <laughs> like that. And I just thought that would, that, I couldn't not do that, basically. But, you know, that I, will, I will leave things to one side if I think that um, there's a possibility of overkill. Hello, Hannah here. Just wanted to let you know that if you like what we do, you can help us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. It really does help, especially if you give us five stars. Did that sound threatening enough? Give us five stars. Politicians at the moment, as we've sort of discussed, they really do seem to be the absolute worst of men, and in Pretty Patel's case, women. But, um, you know, it's basically, it seems to be a sort of cataclysmic dick-swinging contest, uh, which... You know, sadly, we are all now party to. Yeah. So there's there are plenty of villains. Do you have any heroes 
any political heroes at the moment? I actually can't really think of too many, but... No. No, I haven't got a single one. Not a single one? No. I chatted to... uh... I chatted to Kenneth Clark once <laughs> on uh, on a radio show, and um, and he was perfectly affable and really nice. There seems to be this thing about politicians when they stop being in power, they become human. Mm. And I don't think we've ever really had a human politician who kind of answers questions normally. As soon as they get somebody on a news program. And they ask the first question. And then that person says, well, we've been very clear on this. I just go, right. That's that then, because you've started in in that robotic way. And and you're not going to answer the question. You're going to dodge it. You're not going to talk properly. You're not going to give us any answers. You're not going to make us feel secure, happy, satisfied. What is the point? Mm. I mean, before all of this, I didn't really watch much politics at all i found it quite cringe inducing to be honest it was it's just awful to watch them isn't it well before i was a journalist i used to be um i used to be a civil servant michael Ooh. um and i have advised ministers in the past not any particularly famous oh. ones but um oh. i can tell you <laughs> i think you really do um speak for us all with your um yeah. with your schedule well, some people, some people did get in contact and said, "I'm pretty much in the same position as this man, and, and this is, is this is what it's like." Because I, 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 you know, it's just that kind of privileged world, that sort of that Eton-based confidence, <laughs> that swagger, that way where you can uh, walk into a, a daily briefing and say. Uh, uh, well, these scientists have, have got the answers. By the way, I I think everything's going to be okay because I was shaking hands with people on a COVID walk only today. <laughs> it's going to be fine. Imagine having that kind of yeah. confidence. But that's just upbringing, isn't it? That's just background. That's, that's privilege. That's mm. having somebody like that at the very, very top is uh, so massively dangerous, as mm. we've already said. You know, they, they, I mean, he does need to be removed from power as soon as possible it just doesn't change does it it's part of our makeup it's our british class identity it's it's not going to go away anytime soon not unless we have some massive revolution because <laughs> it's just it just it's a system that is just there i sort of want one i sort of want a massive re- revolution but like without the sort of you know bloodshed that historically yeah. goes with one um yes because also I've just had a baby and I'd, I'd like her to be okay. So, you yeah, know. Yeah, that's um, fair enough. I, apart from that, I'm, I'm kind of into the idea of civil unrest at this point. I'll probably take that Ooh. out. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> on a slightly more upbeat note, Michael. I, this morning, just read that a man turned up at the Royal Courts of Justice every day of the uh, Johnny Depp libel case against the Sun, dressed as Captain Jack Sparrow in support <laughs> of Johnny Depp. <laughs> Brilliant. So, Michael, with that in mind, what's been your proudest achievement of the year? Well, nothing that can really top dressing as Captain Jack Sparrow. This year, my book's come out, and I I also managed to get onto Radio 4, which is something I've been wanting to do since I was about 17. 
That's a, that's so, an early ambition for Radio Four Seventeen. Yeah, because I'm because I was like your archetypal comedy nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of um, instead of knowing how to talk to girls, I knew Monty Python scripts back to front. It felt like um, it felt energetic, it, like there were the really kind of like my comedy heroes were part of Radio Four at that time, like Chris Morris and Amanda Inucci. And, and when I was 17, I actually went into, back in the day, I was able to uh, go into Radio 4. Uh, you just said, I'm here for the um, open writers meeting. There was a, uh, a show called Weekending, which was like spitting image, basically. And um, they had a meeting on a Thursday in which anyone could come. You just walked into the BBC and, I'd say, and you'd say, I'd like to go to that meeting. They'd say, yep. Yeah. Off you go, make a, make a note of your name. There was just a massive room full of essentially very depressed men trying to get anything onto the radio. I was very shy, so I took my sister with me. And um, back then, I was just, just so keen to be part of that comedy world. And to actually have my own half-hour sitcom on it is, is still, still very surreal. And I'm still very proud of it, Yeah. I was reading the note that the Canongate Press team sent me and apparently Matt Hancock follows you on Twitter. Yeah, he does. How, how do you feel about that? What, um, what do you think he's getting out of it? I'm, I'm slightly confused. I don't know. I, I suppose he's uh, some sort of glutton for punishment, I suppose. Not only do I, you know, constantly berate this government for what it does, I berate him. Uh, I make a fool of him. He's a berate-worthy which... man, I, I think. Yes, I think, you know, he is, uh, but I think he kind of, uh, the terrible thing is, is that I think he enjoys it. You know, I think he would, I think he would like his spitting image puppet when it's, when the series is over. I think he's just one of those, you know, who enjoys the attention, even if it's for, you know, the wrong reasons. I mean, during the, during the election campaign last December, the penny dropped for me. I always thought he was some sort of bumbling full which i think he is on some some level but he posted a picture of himself in a coat with the collar up looking mm. over a dock and it just said something like contemplating the union staring distantly like he was on an album cover and it just said contemplating you know what we're going to do in the union after we leave or something like that yeah it was totally out of context with no link or anything and so immediately people started turning it into little memes and things like that. And I thought, oh, he wants us to do that. Right. He wants us to do that, definitely, because he enjoys the... the he, he thinks he still thinks it's a bit of a laugh, I think. I still think that he's, it doesn't really hurt him, what I do. But I will never know, because I will never ask him, and I will never talk to him. <laughs> So Matt Hancock, if you're listening, uh, which I'm sure he listens to us all the time, um, <laughs> who knows? My, one of my favourite things that's happened this year, actually, and I say favourite, like, loosely, uh, mm. also, you know, not more favourite than the birth of my child, obviously. But, um, and, and again, it's sort of in, it, for comedic purposes rather than actually, like, it's a good thing because the whole thing's awful. But um, mm. one of my favourite pictures of the year is Matt Hancock with... Um, you remember when they were they were going to sort of pay their respects to all the people, all the all the staff dying in care homes, yeah. um, with the badge, 
that says yeah. I care or something like that. And then yeah. there's a picture of Matt Hancock holding the badge up. <laughs> the right. right. That's one of the, that's one of the best things I think's happened this year. Right. I think that, uh, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know what the connection is, but I don't think any Tory has ever had a good photograph ever, you know, of, taken of them ever. They just don't seem to be able to do it right. You know, mm. they, they, they don't pose right or whatever. Like Grant Shapps posted a picture of himself at breakfast. <laughs> Did you see that? I'm just <laughs> laughing at Grant Shapps. <laughs> Grant Shapps, I know. Grant Shapps. See, it's just funny in its own right. He sat at a breakfast bar going through some massive dossier that was quite, I can't remember what it was, but it was famous and people were talking about it at that time. It was in the public eye and he said, oh, going through this dossier. And he had lots and he had basically every cup from his, (laughs) every mug around him as if to say, oh, it's taking me 11 cups of coffee to get through this. And he's holding it really awkwardly. And I just thought, a normal person would just use the same cup. Why have you got all these cups around you? Why do you think that's funny? It, it just, there's, there's just so many things that are wrong with the picture. And it's almost like the Tory machine, the spin machine, almost knows now that anything it does is going to be manipulated and, and twisted in that way. And Liz Trust did the same thing with a very strange posed picture <laughs> where she's on the phone. Uh, important negotiations with Japan and she had this picture of, of a, her with the Dulux dog <laughs> framed picture of her with the Dulux dog on a tiny table so clearly she put that <laughs> photograph on the table for the picture <laughs> because nobody would buy a tiny table to put a massive picture of yourself with a dog the whole thing was just is uh, is just ludicrous. I have to say, Grant Shapps's office. I've seen him, you know, doing lots of these kind of Zoom news interviews. I don't. I think he's just one of these kind of cannon fodder um, mm. cabinet ministers, isn't he? Sort of, they yeah. just sort of wheel him out because they can't really be bothered to do it themselves, and they know he's yeah. going to get shit and he's completely incompetent. But yeah, if you get a chance to look up Grant Shapps's office, it's okay. th- there's. I feel there's definitely comedy content there. It's okay. just definitely oh. something in that. <laughs> well, you know, I think you're right about putting people like him up for interviews because it goes back to what you were saying about them not caring about mm. things not being right because they'll they'll bring they'll they'll put Liz Truss forward for a big chat about Brexit negotiations when she won't have any idea. Yeah, and, and at one point she says to Emma Barnett during an interview, "I, I don't know." oh all all right then why are you sat here you know but again you know Cummings and that lot just go I'll put Liz out who cares if she gets slaughtered I feel like I was going to say main two parties but the both of the two parties have always done that though I've sort of I remember watching Question Time which I can't watch anymore because it makes me too angry but I remember I used to watch Question Time religiously fuck knows why and they would always it would be like a rotation of Diane Abbott Saeed Avasi, Grant Shapps, probably one of them as well. There was just like a rotation of people that they would send who would always go. And you're just like, they don't care about you. We we can't possibly expect you to tell us anything like useful yeah. or serious about the state of the world. Or It doesn't seem that anything really hinges on, on a public appearance in that 
way. I don't, I'm not. I'm, I'm not sure it ever did really. I don't, I don't think anybody really had a you know a car crash interview and then had to resign as a result of it. I just don't think that happens. But I mean, people just MPs resigned because of you know being caught out basically in some mm. scandal or other. Although that doesn't really happen so much now either. No. So Michael, you've got a book out at the moment which you have yeah. already mentioned: the secret political advisor, the unredacted files of the man in the room next door which is published by Canongate and available now. What, what can we expect to find in said book? Well, I, I realise that probably the last four years have been the most tumultuous politically because of both in the UK and in the US. And then I thought, well, if we had my character at the centre of that storm right from the beginning to the now, we could kind of hack into his phone and, and we check his diary entries and his texts and his emails and his direct messages and his WhatsApp conversations and all of that. And it's an accumulation of all of that data. So we kind of find out um, more about him, more about the organisation he works for. And, and you just get like these, uh, these, these memos to, to all the various characters that have appeared in US and UK politics over the last four years. So it was, re- it was really fun to do. It was very therapeutic. And it's very, very funny. I've got a copy. Um, it's very funny. And I think if you do enjoy Michael's sketches, then I think you will very much enjoy the book as well. So, Michael, you've got lots of funny sketches, as discussed. Where can we find them on the internet and not abuse you while we watch them? Uh, yeah, well, uh, feel, feel free to abuse me. It's fine. <laughs> I want to engage my fans. Well, I'm on Twitter as Mr. Michael Spicer. All the sketches are also on YouTube as well. And what have you got coming up? Well, I'm doing... I'm, the, the uh, Radio 4 very kindly have commissioned a series of the pilot that I did, mm-hmm. which is out next year, so I'm writing that now. And I've got a live show, <laughs> theoretically. <laughs> uh, I literally don't know if I'm going to do uh, a show that I've got prepared in Oxford in November at the Oxford Playhouse. It could potentially still go ahead as a as a streamed event if you buy your ticket online and I'm going um, on tour hopefully in April, March, May time next year. Excellent. Have you got a website that you want to tell us about? I have. It's awful. I should, I should say, I should say it's, it's, it's a rubbish website because I did it myself during a lunch hour several <laughs> years ago. I haven't been able to change it. Um, but it's michaelspicer.co.uk and there, there will be, um, links to theatres where I'm doing the, the live show and also just links to other things I've done short films and sketches and things excellent Michael thank you very much and all the best with with whatever's coming up next been a pleasure thank you so much hello Mickey here to tell you how you can find out more about us and that is if you want to follow us on Twitter Standard Issue is at Standard Issue UK I'm at Mixter Noonan Hannah is at that Dunleavy and Jen is at InspiroGen. And you can find out more about our views, opinions and general nonsense if you follow us over there. Look forward to having a natter. Standard Issue for all women.